not necessarily how did you get here this morning, but how did you end up at a church at this point in your life? If I'm going to answer that question, I have to go back to middle school. I don't know many people that thrived during middle school, and I certainly wasn't one of them. Even though I didn't move during my middle school years, I ended up going to Henderson Middle when all of the people that I knew from elementary school went to Shamrock, which is now Druid Hills Middle. I was excited at first for a fresh start, a chance to make new friends. But as my first year came and went, I felt like I had zero friends. And the friends I did have last school were making new friends and I was stuck all alone, with greasy hair, an awkward haircut, and a bunch of outfits that made it look like I was somehow trying too hard and not hard enough. I felt like an outsider, and despite the fact that I had a family that loved me through it all, I felt like something was missing. I felt far away from everyone. Nothing was grounding me. I didn't have a community that felt like my own. Cue the youth group at church. I didn't grow up going to church regularly, save the occasional Easter service with my grandparents or vacation Bible school, but a girl from my science class invited me to join her to a youth group movie night, and I accepted. There was something magical about that place. When I walked in expecting to find a nice group of people peacefully watching a movie, I found instead this beautiful tableau of unity in chaos. There was a group of older kids sitting in front of the screen, quoting and laughing with the youth director about every line in Monty Python's Holy Grail. There was another group of kids sitting in a tight little circle, flirting so hard with each other they lost track of who they were even interested in. And in the back you had the two kids that brought their own book and were perfectly happy reading by themselves and scattered in between were a few other pods of people just being themselves. How did I end up here today? I was looking for somewhere to belong, and in 1999, Kaylin Arbor invited me to a movie night and showed me what church could look like. What was it that made me stay? You might be wondering how a Monty Python-themed movie night captures the mission and vision of the church. But what I see looking back is a picture of unity, an unlikely group of people joined together for a common purpose. And that's why we're here today, isn't it? At some point, we've all felt like an outsider. And at some point, a church community, maybe this church community, has said, no, you're not. You belong here, just the way you are. And that's where the author of Ephesians picks up in chapter 2. The author is addressing the Gentiles of the Christian community, the outsiders, the uncircumcised, the newest members of the community. The Gentiles, or non-Jewish Christians, are reminded that they were once without Christ and strangers to the promises of God, because obviously they didn't grow up in the faith, the Jewish faith. They came from a place of being outsiders, aliens, with no hope and no God. If we go back to verse 1 in chapter 2, the author goes so far as to say that they were like a dead person, 
acting like most of the people of the world, and following a destructive power. So what's different now? What changes things for them? The answer is always Jesus. Christ took these people looking for life and brought them close, uniting them with God and with each other. Okay, the answer is always Jesus. But what does that mean? This is where we're going to get back to the basics. In this chapter, we find four little verses that are so theologically dense they could sink a ship. So in order for us to think about how Jesus creates unity, we're going to need to dive a little bit deeper. Verse 13 says, But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it's not just Jesus, it's the blood of Jesus that brings the far away near again. Now, as Presbyterians, we don't talk about the blood of Jesus all that much. But when we hear this reference in Ephesians, it's a reference to the sacrificial nature of Jesus' death on the cross. Jews and Gentiles alike will know a time when physical sacrifices were required to be reconciled or made right with God, whichever God you were worshiping. Offerings to Greek and Roman gods were common in order to appease them. Jewish law required regular ritualistic blood sacrifices to stay in God's good graces. This brings to mind the Passover lamb, a sacrifice meant to invoke the memory of when the Israelites of Egypt spread blood on their door frames so that God would spare them from the plague sweeping through Egypt. Blood was significant. Blood saved. And the blood of Christ is significant too. When we hear the reference to the blood of Christ, it's meant to invoke the sacrificial nature of his death. We are meant to make a connection between the offerings of the past and the offering that Christ made on the cross. Just as sacrifices at an altar would reconcile someone with God, now it's the sacrifice of Christ that reconciles. What a relief! Now, instead of the responsibility of reconciliation lying solely on the individual, reconciliation has been achieved by the actions of one person, Jesus. The pressure's off. Jesus has done the work. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that we don't have to. What a gift. The blood of Christ brings us near to one another and to God because his sacrifice was for everyone and forever. Christ is our peace. As we move into verse 14, it's these words that ground us. Christ is our peace. What does that look like? Peace. The verse says, He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barriers of hatred that divided us. God hates walls. And Jews and Gentiles literally built walls to separate themselves from each other, particularly when it came to accessing the Jewish temple or to accessing God. Christ is our peace because with his body, the sacrifice of his body, he said, no more 
to divisions. If Christ died for everyone, the walls have to come down. There is no us versus them. There is only one group, one people, the people of God. And when the physical walls come down, Jesus goes to work on the barriers of hate that we continually rebuild to separate ourselves from others. When the barriers of hatred come down, there is no group that emerges as right or wrong. There's something new instead. Verse 15 says that Jesus canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of the two groups. Now this verse doesn't exactly vibe with other parts of our New Testament that assure us that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But the point is, Jesus came and died and was raised again so that we can let go of our need to control our own fate. It's not our job anymore to worry about being right or doing the right thing so that we will be rewarded. Jesus took care of it. Jesus created a new thing, a new community, a new body, making peace. Peace. Peace is a critical part of unity. And Christ is our peace. And Christ creates peace because two groups of people who used to hate one another or at a minimum didn't care about one another, can now put aside their need to be first or their need to be right and focus on God instead. Verse 16 says, Jesus reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. Here's where I feel like the author really drives home the main point of this chapter. First, You had a group of people that were far away, dead even, people who had no hope and no God, people who were strangers and outcasts, but that's not how God would have it. By the cross, by Jesus's death and resurrection, we find a God that says no to death and no to systems and actions that bring death and division. One more time for good measure. By the cross, God says no to death and no to systems and actions that bring death and division. Christ is our peace, reconciling us as one body united in Christ to God. When I was reading this passage in preparation for today, I found it interesting that in this verse, it mentions that the reconciliation achieved through Christ ends the hostility to God not the hostility among the people, but to God. But the more I thought about it, the more it makes sense. Jesus is at the center of this passage, which means God is at the center of this passage. God has done the work. There is no more need for transactional relationships between God and the people. God reconciled us by the cross. And when we are reconciled to God, we are by default reconciled with one another, because it's God that centers and unites us. And with that comes freedom, a freedom to let go. So now what? If we have this freedom because the cross frees us and unites us, what are we supposed to do? 
Freedom's something we've been hearing a lot about lately. Too often we think of freedom as a right to do whatever we want. When, in actuality, as Christians, freedom is living into the gift of the cross. To quote the Reverend Ben Kramer, if we Christians somehow arrive at the conclusion that giving up some personal liberties for the sake of other people's safety somehow makes us less free, then we have deeply misunderstood the cross. We are free because God's actions at the cross freed us. And this is what unites us. And unity is both a gift and an obligation to the church. Unity means that we don't have to be right. We just have to love each other as God loved us. This love isn't always easy. It requires action. Peace is not passive. Peace builds up. Peace calls out wrongs. Peace comforts. When we disagree, we must pursue community. When one is lost, we must bear one another's burdens. When one is in need, we must give ourselves to be a benefit to others, even if it comes with a personal sacrifice. Because that's what Jesus did. Our peace, our freedom, our unity is not about what we do or don't do. It's about Christ. It's why we're here. You might not be here because you were invited to youth group many years ago. You might be here for any number of reasons. You might be here because someone in this community made you feel welcome. You might be here because your significant other told you to be here today. You might be here because you were hoping for some free coffee and snacks after worship. You might be here because you know it would make your grandmother proud. You might be here because you've also felt lost, dead, with no hope and no God. But you are here, and we are here with you. We are united. We are united without having to change or conform to one right or another, because God created something new in the church, a place where Christ is the cornerstone, which means we are free to be ourselves and free to love radically, because we have been loved radically. And here, Christ is building us into a place where God lives through the Spirit, through us, through peace in unity. Praise be to God. Amen.